This is episode 70 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Wednesday, July 26, 2023. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the Angry Programmer with a mic, Ryan Bemrose. Coming at you on Wednesday this time, late Wednesday. Some might even argue it's Thursday, but I live on the left coast where it is technically still Wednesday. As I record this, Nick the Rat is spinning his live special neo-vaudeville style of podcast extravaganza. If you're into a one-man variety show hosted by a talking rat, then you owe it to yourself to give his show a listen. I warned you last week that my meat space life got pretty busy I remain committed to put out an angry tech news every week, but some of it might not be live. Yesterday, I had a phone interview at the usual live time, and since the podcast isn't in any danger of getting me a six-figure salary, I set my priorities accordingly. From the Mandating Innovation Department, the European Council has officially agreed to new rules requiring all phones sold in the EU to have user-replaceable batteries starting in 2027. The batteries must be replaceable, quote, with no, with no tool, a tool or set of tools that is supplied with the product or spare parts or basic tools. Obviously, this regulation is only applicable in the EU, but most phone makers don't make phones only for the EU. So expect some changes worldwide in response to this. The new rules also set recycling targets, specifying a percentage of used batteries that must be recycled rather than landfill, uh, a percentage of the lithium, cobalt, lead, and nickel that must be recovered, must be recovered from the batteries, because the Brussels government honestly seems to believe that you can legislate the laws of physics, I suppose, and a mandatory percentage of new batteries to be made, made using recycled lithium, cobalt, lead, and nickel. These rules also apply to tablets, laptops, e-bikes, and electric vehicles. Anything that is uh, quote-unquote portable and uses a battery. Well, okay, some confusion. The recycling targets apply to all of those things. To be honest, it's not clear to me if they're also insisting that users be able to remove and replace electric vehicle batteries with quote basic tools because the regulation just says portable batteries in appliances what could be more portable than a car is my first thought. Um, the portability clause and the EV batteries clause were in completely separate sections of the 366 page PDF, which I tried to read. No, 366 pages, not going to happen. But um, I did do I control F it quite a lot. Um, like most legislation, it seemed to have been written by multiple committees who were not talking to each other and were probably in different countries. And so the different sections were not well cross-referenced. None of the several articles about the regulation seem to consider that question either. So I guess how that law works will be a bit of a surprise to the first company that gets fined for violating it. The grace period that is set by the regulations is between now and 2027 when the law goes into effect, quote, to give manufacturers time to redesign their phones. I'm not sure why this is necessary, 
After all, Apple only needed one release to glue the battery into the phone and to remove the headphone jack. And then all the other companies required one more release to copy Apple and crush what little repairability was left in the smartphone market. From the digital means ephemeral department, if you are a gamer and if you have an Ubisoft account, and if you have digital purchases attached to that account, then this next story is for you. If like me, you create accounts at random places and don't always follow up or pay attention to or ever log into them again, you may want to briefly log into Ubisoft in case you care to keep the account. That is, if you've got anything there you care to keep. Ubisoft, which coincidentally was voted 2021's most hated game publisher and has been a perennial contender for most hated company awards right up there with Monsanto, Comcast, and United Airlines, and who are famous for shutting down servers for popular games, effectively disabling all further gameplay, single and multiplayer, the moment the game stops turning a positive cash flow, Ubisoft have started sending out emails to people who haven't logged into their accounts in a while, telling people that their account will be, quote, closed within 30 days if they do not do so. Normally, this would be no big deal. You're obviously not using the account and a little database cleaning is always in style, right? But like I mentioned earlier, Ubisoft forces you to attach digital purchases to your account, which means any digital content you've ever paid Ubisoft for games, DLC, add-ons, horse armor, as well as save games, achievement progress, etc., is part of what they're proposing to delete. The Ubisoft support page indicates that once an account is closed, any digital content connected to the account is unrecoverable, which they say is why they're being magnanimous and giving customers a 30-day grace period. The company doesn't say exactly how inactive an inactive account needs to be before it comes up for deletion, but various Twitter threads indicate that it seems to be about four years. What Ubisoft is doing is sketchy, no doubt. Digital libraries get deleted all the time when a company goes bankrupt, for example, or maybe if it gets sold out, but to nuke people's purchases simply because you want to clean up your database is kind of next level. It's also illegal in many countries, at least according to those same Twitter threads that I didn't read. Backwater countries, you make it illegal. Countries that don't matter. Countries that big multinational corporations might just be inclined to simply cut ties with rather than follow those pesky local laws. Countries like, oh, France, where Ubisoft's headquarters are located. Oops. From the where are they now department. Remember NFTs, non-fungible tokens, the digital flash in the pan from 2021 that was going to replace all investments uh, because blockchain. Soon fine art collectors would replace their galleries of art with digital galleries of NFT certificates, which contained URLs pointing to pictures of art hosted on a third party site. Well, here we are two years later and their value hasn't taken off quite as well as some may have hoped. Actually, that is an understatement. Most of the big ones are now selling for a tiny fraction, a few tenths of a percent of what they were bought for. Some of the links, in fact, permanently embedded in the NFT on the blockchain for all time, the links have gone dead because the image has been removed from the hosting site, usually places like Imgur or GFY Cat, Giphy Cat, which went out of business earlier this month. See, listen to ATN67 for that story. The URL is, of course, permanently embedded in the NFT now, like the lonely phone number of an old flame now disconnected and out of service because she had to switch numbers to get away from stalker ex-boyfriends like you. 
Anyway, one of the most famous NFTs was made of the first tweet ever made by Jack Dorsey. It was purchased by a crypto entrepreneur named Sina Estavi in March of 2021 for an impressive 2.9 million worth of Ethereum. The last time I reported on this particular NFT was Angry Tech News 31 in April of 2022, when he tried to sell it for a profit. At the time, he was unable to find a buyer willing to pay the 48 million he was hoping for. He again tried to sell the NFT in April of 2023, a couple months ago, with the same 48 million asking price. The highest bid on that sale was about $280. Estabi has now returned to the OpenSea marketplace one more time. As of Monday, the winning bid for the 2.9 million NFT is one Ethereum, worth just under $2,000. And it's not just that NFT that's in trouble. Remember Bored Apes? Outrageous prices in the millions. Uh, one collection of Bored Apes went for $25 million. Uh, one single image, an NFT collage, went for $69 million. Admittedly, it was a really big image. Uh, Justin Bieber purchased, famously purchased a Bored Ape for $1.2 million, which, by the way, has a current value of about $59,000. I'm even skeptical of that because I don't know if there's anybody dumb enough to pay Justin Bieber $59,000 for that, but that's what the article said. Suffice it to say, NFTs are down from their peak. More than 100x down in some cases. Last December, a lawsuit named Yuga Labs, the company who issued and hyped Bored Apes, in a lawsuit alleging a pump and dump scheme. It made pretty big news because also named in the lawsuit were dozens of idiot celebrities, most of whom probably don't even know what the letters SEC mean. And they were named, or they were named because they hyped these soon-to-be worthless securities. Among them, Justin Bieber, Snoop Dogg, Serena Williams, Madonna, Kevin Hart, DJ Khalid, Gwyneth Paltrow, Paris Hilton, Jimmy Fallon, and Steph Curry. Uh, also, what could have been named Taylor Swift probably dodged a bullet by asking a very, very simple question, whether or not these securities were registered before she pushed them. Obviously, it's not very nice to delight in the misfortune of moron investors with more money than market savvy, but who are people who threw away millions on a fad. So... I guess I'm just not that nice because I find this stuff hilarious. From the important things in life department, we finish up the episode with yet another story about how AI is impacting another old and well-established industry. In this case, I refer to that oldest of commercial or communicated media, the well-known harbinger of tech trends throughout the decades. I'm, of course, talking about porn. After the AI image generation algorithm Stable Diffusion went open source late last year, it didn't take long for a group of enthusiasts and entrepreneurs to notice a glaring omission in its data set. The image generator was absolutely atrocious at creating NSFW content, owing, the group reasoned, to the unfortunate lack of salacious images in its training data set. Enter Unstable Diffusion, originally a Reddit sub or a subreddit, and then a Discord group who made it their goal to acquire porn data sets with which to train up the generative model. The group managed to raise over $26,000 from donors, despite being booted off of both Kickstarter and Patreon for the expected reasons, and were able to create a data set of more than 30 million pornographic images with which to set up the model. With that, they created the platform using the stable diffusion algorithm designed specifically to create the kind of image that would get you kicked off of most social media platforms. 
In the TechCrunch article that I shamelessly stole this story from, the author goes on to test out the Unstable Diffusion engine to see its capabilities and even to post several of the generated images, pixelated or carefully cropped in order to make it publishable on TechCrunch. They do point out the predictable level of AI bias given the training set, unless otherwise specified. For example, most females generated are short, extremely busty, busty and vaguely Asian. Gay males tend to be Latino with close-cropped beards and the kind of ripped six-pack that comes from a lifetime or two spent at the gym. Pretty much exactly what you'd expect if you fed the most popular porn into the engine, I suppose. And the model still generates its share of six-fingered, anatomically impossible figures stepping straight out of the more sultry parts of a Lovecraftian horror. The service have a, has a number of restrictions placed on their AI, no non-consensual stuff, uh, no heavy violence, no deep fakes, no images of celebrities, and no children. Uh, they've assigned an AI bot on the surface to chase down and delete any rule-breaking violations, not least because some of that stuff will get their entire stuff shut down. Although it's not clear to me how well that's working, considering the TechCrunch article did manage to get and post an AI image of a partially gender-swapped Donald Trump. The Unstable Diffusion Group claims 350,000 users so far, generating half a million images every day. It fills the void that most of you didn't know you had and likely still don't want. Rule 34 of the internet. If it exists online, there is porn art of it. And now there is an automated platform for generating that art. Man, I love the internet sometimes. By the way, if any of the Unstable Diffusion folks are listening, let them know that I am ready to accept some streaming Satoshis for this native ad that I just produced for them. I gotta say, the No Agenda podcasting community are the most generous and helpful people, trolls, that I've ever come across. Uh, I ran into some trouble last week financially, and I put out the sad puppy for it, and you guys really came in. This podcast still isn't where I would need it to be if I wanted to go full time, not even close. Very few podcasts ever make it there but your generosity really helped take some of the immediate strain. And for that, I am very grateful. First of all, huge angry thanks go out to Sir Donald of the Fire Bottles, who came in with a $500 donation to the show. It blew me away. And it even made my rock steady wife, Dame Bemrose, raise an eyebrow. Angry thanks also go out to Liam McEnany, Jay Conaccini, Sir Carl with a K, Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley, Vox, and Curtis Peterson, who all came in with generous donations via PayPal. I'd also like to thank all of the people who came in with boosts via a new podcast app at podcastapps.com. I'd like to thank them, but I've run into a bit of a technical issue getting boost data from my uh, lightning node. I'll spare you the gory details, but... Uh, and if you want the gory details, by the way, listen to this week's Grumpy Old Ben's where I did and did not spare the audience at all. But suffice it to say, an extremely happy accident resulted in the number of transactions to the node going up about 20 times and the custom PowerShell script that I use just isn't up to the task of filtering them. So I, they are still there and I will find the, the boosts. I'm just not currently able to view them. I will, however, very specifically shout out Eric PP who sent in a boost with an error that I did not know was possible. He intended to send the generous sum of 33,000 Satoshis, and that number was indeed recorded as the total amount in the boostogram. But he apparently fumbled the decimal point when entering it into Albi because 
the amount actually transferred was closer to 333000 We discovered the oops after he contacted me in the IRC troll room to ask about it. I honestly don't know if it's possible to issue a refund in the pod- podcasting 2.0 valid value model, but if you want to ping me a note or a wallet address, I am willing to try to make it right. Anyway, Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. If you received some value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, whether it's or, hey, the entire contents of your Albi wallet. That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next time with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the angry programmer, Ryan Bemrose, at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Good day to you. This is Bemlet with another slice of history. Today's date, July 26th. So we're going to start with uh, 1775. U.S. postal system is established, and yes, this is before the U.S. actually existed. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was the U- was the first postmaster general in the soon-to-be United States of America. Just a couple of fun facts here. Franklin is actually one of two joint postmasters from the British colonies from 1753 until 1774. The British actually fired him for being a founding father of the U.S.A. Uh, Franklin only held the position as Postmaster General of the U.S. Postal System for a little more than a year, as he was then sent to France as a diplomat. In that little time, though, he had set up uh, regular postal routes from Florida all the way to Maine with around 75 post offices. Moving forward to 1847, the Liberian independence is proclaimed from the United States of America. Back in 1816, Robert Finley formed the American Colonization Society to return former enslaved African Americans to Africa. In 1821, the Liberian colony was founded south of Sierra Leone as a new homeland for former slaves. Strangely, most African Americans didn't want to be moved to the harsh West African coast because they had grown up in America. Huh. Regardless, by 1847, some 15,000 people had settled in Liberia and decided to be their own country. And lastly, let's move on to uh, 1945. I found this one to be fun. Uh, Winston Churchill resigns just before World War II ends. After almost five years in the British military, Churchill resigned his commission to work on his political career. He joined Parliament in 1900 and became the first Lord of the Admiralty by 1911. In 1915, he was held responsible for military disasters in World War I and resigned from politics. In 1917, he came back to it. I guess sometimes you just can't quit something. He remained in politics again until 1929 and quit again. Quitter. When war broke out again in 1939, he was asked to come back as the First Lord of the Admiralty again. Didn't they already fire him from that job? Anyways, after eight months, he became Prime Minister. For a year, he led Britain alone against Nazi Germany until he was able to negotiate an alliance with Roosevelt of the USA and Stalin of the USSR. 
In July of 1945, his conservative government suffered an electoral loss against the Labour Party, and Churchill was forced to resign as prime minister, effective July 26, 1945. Only two years later, the Conservative Party took power again, and Churchill became prime minister again, and he held the job until 1955. Finally, I always like to throw in a few things that I'm not going to actually do any research on. In 1891, France annexes Tahiti. 1908, the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, is founded. It wasn't actually under that name, but, you know, you get it. And in 1989, a federal grand jury indicts Robert T. Morris Jr. for releasing the Morris Worm and becoming the first person to be prosecuted under the 1986 Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. I'm sure there's a lot more to that story, but I'm not going to research it. Regardless, I appreciate you guys taking the time and listening to this uh, episode. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful day.